Hello and welcome to this, the 33rd episode in the second series of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Og McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I am a 21-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And this second series is, of course, brought to you thanks to the very generous support of the Arts Council of Ireland. And it is thanks to that generous support that each week we bring you these conversations absolutely free of charge. We've promised that we won't ever charge for this podcast, but we are looking for you to support Irish theatre, and to put your money where your mouth is, and put your money into Irish theatre. The whole ethos behind this podcast is to support, promote and celebrate all that is great about Irish theatre. And of course the simplest, easiest, most direct way to go and support is simply put your hand in your pocket and go and buy yourself some theatre tickets. It is that simple, it is that straightforward, it is that easy. There's a whole heap of great work going on at the moment. Do get out there, maybe broaden your horizons, take a chance on a show that you wouldn't normally go and see, maybe go to a theatre that you don't normally go to. Broaden your horizons a little bit, take a chance, you never know, you might be very pleasantly surprised. Of course, if tickets are outside your reach this week or this month, there are ways you can support without even having to put your hand in your pocket. One of the easiest ways is just to tell people about this podcast, whether that's in person over a coffee or a pint, or whether that's sharing the link on Facebook or retweeting it on Twitter or doing an Instagram post about it or whatever social media avenues you have. The more you can get the word out about what we're doing with the podcast, the more we can get the word out about the great theatre artists we're interviewing here. Uh, do please go and subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes if you are an Apple user. But of course, these episodes are streamable and available for direct download over at riseproductions.ie go back and listen to all the previous episodes in this second series and indeed the first series from a few years back leave us a review on itunes if you have a minute that is of massive assistance to us just jump on over to your itunes uh, and click to review there or you can simply click to rate us on their five star rating system either whatever it's not going to take a huge amount out of your day but it really makes a difference for us in terms of search results and chart position and all that other great stuff uh, you can as ever follow us on facebook we are facebook.com forward slash rise productions Ireland or you can follow us on Twitter we are at Rise Ireland and it's been another exciting week here at Rise Towers because the show that will not die the good father has just announced that it's coming back for a final week uh, and brilliantly it's a Dublin city centre run at the great Smock Alley Theatre which I'm delighted to find to be playing in with Rise because we haven't done it yet uh, it's going to be our first time there and really looking forward to it we're something like 66 shows deep into this tour at this stage uh, and another seven to go which is kind of phenomenal if you think that we're doing this essentially as a commercial venture you know there's no touring money from the Arts Council there was no production grant in the first place this just is what it is it's us out there knuckling down making the work happen and you just kind of sometimes I think there's an awful lot of people waiting around and kind of going oh it's so unfair we can't make this happen we can't get this we can't get funding here I can't make it happen you know sometimes you do just have to get up off your ass and go I don't care I'm just going to find a way to make it happen ain't always easy it's not that it's not hard work because it is but uh, you can get out there, you can get it done, you know, signs on it. This is going to be venue 25, I think, of this tour. And as I said, we'll be 70-odd performances into it at that stage. So it is out there, it is possible, it is doable. Maybe get up there and kind of get stuff happening. And, you know, for those of you who still haven't seen the show, and I have a list of names, don't you worry, I'll be coming for you. Uh, this is your last chance to go and see Dan and Marie work their magic in it. If you've been promising me since back in October, oh yeah, I must come and see you, I must come and see you. This is the last roll of the dice, kids. This is your last opportunity to see this show. It is smack bang in the middle of the city centre. you got a full week. We're going to throw a matinee in there too. 
there will be no excuses this time around okay okay we're all still mates so look that brings us to our guest this week and it is none other than the brilliant michael sheehan waterford's finest um mikey and me are mates going back an awful long way uh and he's just an, an exceptional actor and a really good dude with a really interesting story um mikey most notably and most famously uh is the only man who ever else played dan coyle jr in fight night other than me and we talk about it a bit in the show and he was just phenomenal like the performance he gave in that role and kind of taking it over on relatively short notice with a relatively short lead in time the performance he gave in that role blew my mind and that's a show that was built for me that i know inside out he was phenomenal in it and the you know the reviews he was getting and the hype that was happening for him over in scotland at the time was through the roof like you've never seen anything like it five stars left right and center it was a real big deal um and you know thoroughly deserved by mikey because he worked his ass off on that um and he's a guy who always works his ass off you know we'll talk about that a bit as well in terms of fight prep and stuff through the interview as well um just an all-round great guy with a brilliant story let's get straight into it guys here he is the brilliant michael sheehan waterford's finest mikey sheehan how the hell are you my friend i'm not too bad Ingo. how are you i am very well i'm delighted to have you on um Let's go from the very beginning, because the beginning isn't the beginning for you. You shagged off to uh, Wales, not to train as an actor, but to go and be a hotshot lawyer. What the hell was that all about? Yeah, like, I, I suppose I always, um, growing up, I, from my family, there was nobody ever involved in, like, entertainment or anything like that, or or certainly theatre. And um, I suppose when I told my mother I want to be an actor, she was like, no, you're going to go off and get a real job. So uh, I... Yeah, I got. I did my leaving, and I I got it. I wanted to actually do veterinary because my my dad is, is is passed away, but he was a vet, so I think that was the the goal of uh, to be a vet first of all. But I didn't get the points. Right. Okay. Uh, so uh, I went off and yeah, did law in in Wales, and then yeah, it was like I did two years in Aberystwyth. Yeah. And then I was the 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 part of it that I was most interested in was. There was two. There was medical law and the ethics and uh, intellectual property law, right, okay. which is all like um, uh, copyrights yeah. and stuff like that. But I remember at the time there was um, there was a thing about it was with David Beckham and uh, I think Adidas were using his face for for a poster for for Predator. Oh yeah. Uh, but but not his name, so it, it was it was kind of a groundbreaking. It was so nerdy and, and and thing, but it was a groundbreaking case, and that it was the first time that. It, uh, uh, celebrity I suppose is, um, image yeah. was used to sell a product rather than the name so it became a kind of a it was a huge thing in, in, in the UK law system so I, I became very interested and uh, I wanted to kind of I thought maybe I wanted to be a sports agent right okay um, and uh, yeah that came out at the time too so I was like that's not a bad idea so uh, I, I finished the degree and um I actually got a job with uh, Michael Kennedy, who I don't know if people would know is probably uh, probably best known for being Roy Keane's uh, barrister, but also agent at the time. And he was he was looking after a lot of the the Irish uh, football players, Irish sports people, really. So I was working for him in London for two years, just dog's body, basically. You know, but do you need to do funny stuff after like a law degree? Do you need to go and do? additional kind of training at the bar and all that kind of stuff I don't know anything about yeah that. like well, that was the thing that's kind of what pushed me away from it really because it was they they you had to do an L, what was called an LPC or or inns of court if you wanted to do the barrister the LPC was a solicitor's thing okay and it was so expensive now the firm were willing willing to uh 
It's a bank robbery. Some of them, yeah. Wow. They were at the time it was like about ten grand. Oh, I don't, God knows what it is now. Yeah. But um, when they told me about it, I was like, "Geez, that's going to take five years. I'm going to be." 24 or 5 when that's finished I'm going to be ancient that it's going to be, life is going to be over so it just seemed like too long and I did to be honest I had no aptitude for it I wasn't particularly good at it right. and I just didn't enjoy it I enjoyed certain aspects of it obviously but not uh, not um, not enough to, to yeah. pursue it as a career and so what was the decision process then like you so there you are in London working away mm-hmm. yeah I was in London well yeah so it was Aberystwyth with two years Cardiff two years yeah London no actually so sorry it was only Cardiff for a year and then London for two years yeah um yeah I mean it was phenomenal I mean it was great to but it was it was a full-on job like you know you're working all the hours that God send and it wasn't really it was funny actually because I had money (laughs) as a lawyer but I had no time to to do anything with it and when I went over there like years later as an actor I had no money (laughs) And uh, too many hours to think. So it was. I had. I got Lond- I got the, the two Londons. I suppose. Wow, yeah. that's bonkers. So the decision then to go right. This isn't for me. Yeah. Was it an instant thing of going? I'd like to roll the dice on the acting thing. The or? acting was always there. Like, as I said, like the, I grew up in like Dungarvan in in Waterford, which beautiful spot. It'd be a great spot. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the, but there wasn't an awful lot. Like there's no theater. Yeah. Uh, there's an amateur dramatics, but he. I was even born outside Dungarvan again, where it wasn't. Uh, it just wasn't feasible for me to, to go and join that, that sure. company. Um, but yeah, I always harbored kind of. I'd love to try that. I'd love to do that. Actually, this is funny actually because I knew. I've I listened to the podcast, believe it or not, <laughs> and uh, I knew that your first question was always. So when did it all start? Yeah. And I actually started thinking. I said, "What am I going to say to that?" And fun. I, I, the first ever play I was ever at. Yes was the Don McCann, Geraldine Plunkett, and David Kelly, uh, Juno and the Paycock, in the Gaiety. And I know, I was trying to think there during the week, was it in the Gaiety or the Olympia? And I know it was the Gaiety because I remember as a kid, I was like seven, eight, being walked past Sheehan's pub and like looking (laughs) up. And I was like, that's the same name as me. And uh, and yeah, we went in. So it was just around the corner then to the Gaiety. But that was my first ever time in the theatre. What a, what a. That's a baptism of fire there. Well, you know, if you I mean what a, what I think to see, I mean, it's probably the most one of the most iconic Irish yeah. productions. That's spectacular. Yeah. Um, wow. So yeah. So there you are in London, and so this the acting thing is always in the background. Mm. When did you decide to go right? I'd actually like to have a crack at this, and then also, what was the decision for them to come home with the gaiety? It was basically when they asked me to make a decision about doing the LPC, and you know, it was kind of a shit or get off the pot kind of thing, and. Um, I, what do I really want to do? I wanted to act. So I looked up like drama schools. I know I was so green. I had no idea. I looked up drama schools. I was in London at the time. Yeah. And, but I hadn't lived in Ireland for five, six years. Yeah. Like since I'd done my leaving cert. I was always in the UK since then. So I just said, yeah, I think I should go home, you know, and, and, and do it there. So I literally Googled drama schools, Ireland. And yeah. The Gaiety was the first one that came up. Uh, I applied, I auditioned, and I, I, I have no idea how I got in. 
but I got in, and uh, yeah, it was that was that was that was that. You were there at a good time as well. There was a good gang up around. Eno wasn't. Eno was a year behind you. Eno was yeah, the year. Uh, Ian Anderson, of course. Ian, Ian Lloyd Anderson. Yeah, he was the year after me. Like the year coming up behind me. But in my year was like Sarah Green. Yeah. What about her? Oh yeah, God, God, <laughs> it's such a tragedy. You know what, what, what might what might have been, and uh, also actually there was like. From Port Marnock, uh, Orla Doherty. There you go. Uh, she was stunt woman. Well, I've seen her stuff on Facebook, man. Doing extraordinary things yeah. with cars and stuff. I'm like, Jesus. And uh, and Emer O'Grady actually. Oh who's, yeah, of course. Who's, I think she's working on she's working on Viking. She's done all sorts. I mean, she's yeah. stunt woman as well. I mean, Christ, am I two stunt women in in, yeah. in the same year? Uh, yeah. So the four of us were kind of in 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 that year, but um, yeah, I find it. It's funny. I think it came a little bit too soon for me. I think I I didn't. I didn't really appreciate it at the time. I mean, it's such a great opportunity to try out different texts or, and you only really realize the benefit when you, I, yeah, yeah, I didn't appreciate it at the time. I think most people have that experience. That yeah. Once you the first time, go, Jesus, if I knew then what I know now. I mean, you could, you could have a crack at King Lear if you wanted to, you know, and, and in, in a safe environment. But I think that, the, I suppose you, there's always that, competitive thing and you just don't want to be shit yeah. but you kind of realize that that's not really the point of drama school that yeah. that uh you know you, you you have that you have that freedom to to kind of you know do what you want really um what were highlights of the training for you what did you enjoy was it just that freedom to fail and do what you wanted or was it just getting to immerse yourself in it completely for the two years yeah i think what i found most beneficial was what i already said was the the fact that you could you could bring in a, a text that you, that otherwise in the in the real world you would never get to do like say if I want to play King Lear go do King Lear and you're in a safe environment you're with all your mates and just make a bollocks of it if you want yeah uh, I, I, I I didn't appreciate that at the time that is that is a valuable tool because it really lets you stretch yourself and you can um and as well as that because I came from a kind of a non uh, drama background. I, I didn't I wasn't familiar with like I didn't hear I didn't know anything about Beckett I didn't know anything about David Mamet I didn't know anything about you know Shakespeare bar what I did in school yeah. you know so I think that was I, I really I really kind of look back and go God that was a huge opportunity there that I just didn't realize was there yeah you know I, I honestly I do think we all have that yeah that's I think <clears throat> but like it, I was thinking about this recently but it's about that thing about is it valuable is it needed to train or 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 not i believe my opinion is you can't really teach someone how to act i think it's already in you or or it isn't but what training gives you is a respect of the profession yeah uh, a, a a a knowledge of how to behave on a set um and it also opens you up to a world of, of, of texts and, and, and writers that you otherwise wouldn't be have a, have a clue about. I see it. I see it on set on Fair City all, all the time. You know, if someone comes in with uh, little experience or 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 or, or, or training, and uh, you know, it's just like it's kind. Of, it really it really grinds my gears. Like they they they're not prepared. They're late, or, or they my pet peeve is phones on set. Oh, it's right. just like. Hell, man. But I, I think you can kind of tell them a mile off. I think. Yeah. 
Um, I want to take a little bit of a handbrake turn here for a second and talk fighting. Oh yeah. Um, <clears throat> because your other big passion in life is is boxing primarily. Yeah. Uh, and then MMA a bit more broadly. Yeah. How did your interest in boxing and fighting generally come along? Um, well, I was always really, really sporty as a kid. I've I won. I played hurling for for Strad Valley. Won, I won like three or four county medals with Michael Brick Walsh. There you uh, go. Yeah, he. I played on this. I went to school with Michael, and we were on the same team growing up in, with Strad Valley. He's actually a much better footballer than he is a hurler. Believe it or not, That's spectacular. Yeah, him. incredible man. And um, yeah, so I, I always played hurling and, and stuff like that. And then when I was about fifteen, I became obsessed with rugby. But the nearest rugby clubs, Waterford is in a huge tradition of rugby. There's about three rugby clubs. I think Waterpark, Waterford City, and and, and Dungarvan uh, was was Dungarvan was kind of off and on through the years. They have a big club now, but uh, yeah. So Dungarvan was my nearest club. So I went in and and uh, yeah, captain Dungarvan. And uh, as as a kid, I was yeah really big into rugby. But I also did it tipped away in in the boxing club in Dungarvan yeah. and, and did a little bit. And the, but then when I went to Wales, I, I there was a really good boxing club in Aberystwyth, and um, I I actually represented Wales in a in a college um, like a it was like five nations. It was Ireland, Republic of Ireland, Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, England. I represented Wales in a dirty turncoat bag. I know I was with the Reds, England on me, <laughs> and I remember I actually boxed a guy from uh, UCC. And uh, I, there was, I don't know, something happened in the fight or whatever. I think he was trying to headbutt me or something. And I complained to the ref. And he heard my accent. I'll never forget his face. He was like, what? The <laughs> I love it. Yeah. But, uh, the, yeah, but then, uh, yeah, I loved it. And then when I came back to Ireland, uh, I was working, when I was in drama school in the Gaiety, I was working as uh, in the Olympia at nights doing bar work or ushering. Yeah. And uh, there was a guy, a cleaner there, an Italian guy, Mauro Solcis, right? He was a European champion. I didn't know this at the time. I'll never forget the first time I met him. It was between a matinee and a and a an evening show. And I think he was, I don't know, he was cleaning up after the matinee. I was inside doing something. I think I was changing out my back clothes into a tux for the to be you know front of house or whatever. I'll never forget, like you know, it's a tight place and you're kind of shuttling past somebody and I kind of touched his arm and as I'm getting past him you know to kind of shut them out of the way and it was like it was like touching a copper pipe like you know it was, I was like Jesus I looked at his face I like, Jesus I say this fella's handy like you know so I went up to him after I said, I said do, you, do you do a bit of boxing or you know he had very broken English but he was he, I found you know he said yeah I said well I do a bit as well I said do you want to do a bit of training sometime you know he said yeah 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 so he says, meet Fair, Fairview, Fairview Park. He says, meet Sunday. He said, we meet up. So I said, oh, geez, he must have a gym down in Fairview Park, you know. <laughs> so I met him at Fairview Park, cycled down there. And uh, he said, yeah, come, come, come. So we started walking into Fairview Park. So okay. I'm God almighty, where's he taking me, you know. And uh, in the middle, we, he dropped his gear bag in the middle of this field. And he said, okay, uh, we train. And I was like, here? <laughs> you know what I mean? He was in this like, football pitch in the middle of Fairview Park. So we started warming up or whatever and, and did you know a bit of shadow boxing and then we started sparring. Yeah. Uh, just well, it was more him than me now knocking self, knocking the shite out of me in, in, in this you know football field in, in Fairview Park. Well, we did that every Sunday for a year. Wow. And uh, it was funny, after about a month, I don't know, the word got round or whatever, but I swear to God, you're not gonna believe there was, there was like uh, 
there was lads turning up with cans, <laughs> like on a Sunday and sitting on the bank and like I about eight of them. To watch you get the hip. They started on? watching the spar. They started like yeah, they'd be giving me a little t- like corner men, giving me little <laughs> tips on how to, <laughs> how to think. But he was an animal, Jesus. He was he was a tough, 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 tough man. Like you know. But presumably sparring with someone like that brings you on a huge amount. Yeah, it's iron sharpens iron, you know. Yeah. And he, he he was phenomenal. I I always and he wasn't even that old at the time. I mean, he was in his thirties, probably mid thirties at that time. I thought very very young. Oh, yeah, very, very, very. At that time, yeah. And he goes, no, 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 I'm too old, too old, too old for that. And uh, I was like, man, you'd kill anyone if you went back at it again. Like, you know, I've never, but he, he never went back. I think he's, tra- he's training. We've kind of, lo- we, we're still kind of in touch, but he, he, he's training. He has, a, he has his own um, club now. He's training MMA fighters. And he's, he, I, sometimes I match shows and I see some of some of his guys come out. Like, I was, he's a phen- phenomenal guy. Like, but, but yeah, from that, so, um, am I talking this is going to bore the arse no I, this is exactly what we want okay uh, so so from that then um, I did, as I said I'd just come from the UK I didn't know anything about Dublin I didn't know Dublin like, yeah. and I was looking for clubs to train I did a little bit everywhere I did a bit in Arbor Hill I did a bit in Crumlin I boxed a bit in St. Saviour's with Darren Sutherland and, and people like that uh, but I never kind of unlike in Wales I was or in London I was never part of a club yeah. per se but uh, Mauro then kind of got it, he actually got a job as a, a kind of a fitness instructor in a regular gym and he was able then he was licensed to open a premises to have you know to, to put in four walls and not it and a football pitch in Fairview Park <laughs> he opened a four wall he was able to have a, a you know um, a, a, a gym so he'd met a guy in his gym, they come in, this guy called Ray Butcher, and he was a Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, uh, practitioner. And he started telling Mauro about Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And, and Mauro, Mauro came to me, he said, this is unbelievable, this stuff. Like, you know, I'm able to fight on, on the feet, but when it goes to the ground, this guy can kill me. You know, it's like, it's like swimming with a shark. And um, so, so he started going to Ray Butcher's classes, and then I started attending. This was like 2004. Five. So MMA really was like yeah. in its infancy. I mean, that, at that stage, you're talking pre Ultimate Fight or pre Stephen Bonner. It, it was pre Stephen Bonner, yeah, when I yeah. started doing it. it so was, nobody knew about it. Oh, I'm an OG. It was like, it was way back when, like, it was before before MMA was even, re- it was a thing, but it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't nowhere near. The only thing people knew about MMA at that stage was the episode of Friends where the dude wants to cage fight. That's, that was the sum total of anyone's knowledge. That was it, like, and, and it was kind of seen as like a, 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 a um, well, it's, argu- <laughs> it's arguable where people still think this, that it was like a barbaric kind of a blood sport, you know. Yeah. So I started doing the the, the jujitsu, and uh, but the the gym that we were doing the jujitsu was so far away, like it was bloody out in, like it was miles. I was out in Kulak, like in an industrial state, which I wasn't driving at the time. I remember it was like three bu- two buses, and then this mental walk, like about of about forty five minutes to get into this industrial estate, and it was like walking through like pretty dodgy old flats and stuff. I was like, this is just not doable. So then I, I, I heard from one of the other guys in the gym that there was a, a, a gym near to where I was living. I was living with actually John Cronin on, in, 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 um, in, in the Liberties and it was, it was SPG. Uh, so I, I said, well, I'll, I'll go there. And sure, there, like it was, it was like... <laughs> SPG uh, was a different beast. SPG was a different beast. It wasn't where it was now. I think there was like 30 or 40 members. Uh, 
now it's god it's got to be up in the hundreds i mean it's 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 a worldwide phenomenon now but it was me names that if you're familiar with mma i mean paddy hoolahan yeah. uh carl pendred chris fields conor mcgregor uh my cousin peter yeah. Queeley, uh john cavanagh of course um like they're the biggest names in irish mma history oh history i mean particularly connor of course yeah. but uh yeah it was incredible he's not all right <laughs> he's not done badly god sarah green and connor mcgregor in in, in my timeline <laughs> i feel a bit an- inadequate here but uh, yeah yeah so uh, yeah i was training there for god jesus like years like way before the boys were were in the ufc even yeah. um i remember we used to make a fortune on connor um, um he used to fight like all over the shop but I remember there was one particular when he was fighting out in the Helix right. there was about he didn't even sell it out there was about I'd say 100 and something people Jesus at the thing Christ. it's just mental when you think about it yeah. but he was seven. the bookies were taking odds on it it was like 7 to 2 and this sounds like a big shot, big time Charlie and I'm not I'm not at all like this but I remember we knew how unbelievable Connor was yeah. and he was fighting a guy that we knew wasn't as unbelievable as Connor was. So I remember this is like this sounds disgusting and, and horrible, but I remember putting eight hundred euro. It's a lot of money on the on the fight, like and uh, yeah, I mean it was foregone conclusion. He like he won. Well, I was never so nervous watching that. <laughs> I was in the helix, like I was front row. In actual fact, when you watch that fight on YouTube, Connor walks in. And it's me and Peter, actually. My yeah. first cousin, we're sitting beside each other. You can actually see Connor walks in and he stops. And I can't remember what he said to me. He's talking to us. As he's walking in, like the confidence. As he's walking into the cage, he stops, sees us, and starts like chatting to us. And then walks in and knocks the seven bells out of your man. You know? Unbelievable. Um, you fought MMA too, though, didn't you, Mikey? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I, I, I'm loath to say it was, like by today's standards, I mean, it was the standard was desperate, you know. But uh, yeah. Uh, I got paid for a fight yeah and so you technically uh, fought pro yeah yeah I did now, did you I, also jump up like two weight classes yeah. just because you wanted to fight you crazy bastard well what happened was the fight was in Middlesbrough and uh, I had I had weighed in and my opponent had missed weight and uh, so you know it, but by a long by a long by a long way it, the, the other side like he wasn't heavy he was he, he was just he, he was really like in a bad way like he was collapsing on, okay. the, on the on the on the scales kind of thing so he just wasn't it wasn't healthy to put him in but then there was a, a fight two weight classes heavier and his opponent missed weight so they were like do you want to uh, you know and i was like yeah yeah I've, 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 like, but this dude might have had a stone or two of pure oh a stone i wish he was about I'd say he was coming down from about 16 stone. Like, he was a big, big, big boy. He was about six foot three, six foot, yeah, six foot two, six foot three. He was an enormous big fella, like. And uh, I think when you're in that mindset, like, I, I kind of look back at those days and I was so pig-headed. Like, I just thought boxing, uh, fighting was just everything, you know. And, and I didn't even, you know, it takes the mick out of me now because I've kind of come back around to soccer, you know. Uh, liking soccer where at the time when I was fighting man I was like that load of shite man you know yeah, diving and all this and I kind of feel really embarrassed about it now when I'm talking about football to Eno because I know he's looking at me going yeah I, it, uh, yeah, but but at that time I was so one one track minded like um, you have to be and I, like I look at the, you, you, like uh, talking about Eno like say I was at the premiere of Dublin Old School last night He's done an amazing job. Eno has like, I'm so proud of him. Like he, Jesus, like yeah. I mean, he he's in, every time I go to see him, I think 
this guy is at the top of his game and then like last night he's just gone jumped another thing I mean, right. he, he was he was phenomenal but he lost a shitload of weight like uh, for, for, for the part I was kind of thinking like that's fighters do that three four times a year for fights you know like my cousin Peter you know Pete he was like he's a big man like you've seen him he's, he's a bigger man than me uh, he's probably about 82 kilo walking around weight 80, yeah. 80, 80, 80 81 maybe uh, he cuts to 70 like it's 10 kilos that he loses like to, to boil down to make the weight for a fight like it's, which is like north of 20 pounds oh yeah like, what, what, 80, seven, 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 more than a stone yeah, yeah. like two, almost two stone you yeah. know it's just but he sucks that out in a week like or two weeks before the fight cuts out like uh, see when I started doing it it was before the, it got sophisticated in terms of the weight cutting and, and all, on all that so I did a little bit of that but not to the extent these guys man it's just yeah. it's horrific the stuff they do man I, you know they, they cut salt out of their diet about two week and a half two weeks before the fight so there's no water retention no water retention and then like Peter would be living on like a breast of chicken and two broccoli for all rights like you know that'd be a, that'd be a meal you know yeah. And he's take no like as little water as is, uh, as you can survive on. Then the day of the fight, I've done it millions of times with him. You go out, you fill a piping hot bath. I remember we were out, we were doing it at one time out in his brother's house, and we, I was coming up with saucepans of boiling water, emptying them into the bath. Peter's in the bath, like it's as hot as you can handle, and then the bath is filled with uh, um, Epsom salts. Yeah. So it it basically drags the water out of you. So you're you're basically dry as a bone going into you're as light as you can possibly be, yeah. and uh, and then uh, when you can't handle that, like you're in this enclosure, it was a small bathroom, windows closed, obviously. When you can't handle that anymore, you're brought into a, another room with heaters going. We like so many of those air heaters, like we about four of those going. So the room is like a sauna, literally, and you 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 wrap himself in a duvet, and then you're it's just about getting the most amount of sweat. Uh, 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 you know, out, out of you. So you're you're literally dry as a bone going in, and uh, yeah, it's a tough, tough, tough game. And I want to talk about the worst mistake I ever made in my life, Mikey. Um, because if we don't have regrets, then have we really lived? The worst mistake I ever made in my life was uh, a phone call I made to you saying, Mikey, I've booked a tour of fight night to Glasgow. Uh, I'm after getting a gig in the Abbey, so I can't do it. You're <sighs> the only man in the country who can do it. Would you please take over the gig? And he did, and the reason I say it's the worst mistake I ever made was because that was my baby, that was my show, and everyone's like, oh, big deal, fucking Engel's amazing, he's really great in this, oh, look, let's give him awards and stuff. Then you came in and fucking smashed ah, the job Jesus. and got reviews unlike anyone has ever seen. Like, I remember coming back and talking to people about it, going, lads, you need to see Mikey in fight. Like, he's, doing, like, he's doing much better than I ever did. Ah, he's getting it. loads of laughs that I never got. I go, no, Engel, he's just getting different laughs. You got your laughs. <laughs> no, 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 he's getting all of my laughs and all these new ones as well. You were phenomenal in oh, that show. God, thank you very much. But yeah. I've never let anyone play any of my parts ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you enjoy taking over a show like that? Ah, oh, like, uh, like uh, I we've and this isn't set up. Like we haven't had this conversation before. No, not really. To uh, probably looking back, but maybe the highlight of my career. Like I, I really, I, I enjoyed doing that so much because it was right obviously but I was a bit when, when you when you asked me to do it because I, I knew it was a per, it was a personal story for you yeah. with your, your granddad and your dad and stuff so I said like, Jesus Christ it was a, I remember that first read through it was just the two of us no pressure yeah I know and I kind of God this is um, this is awkward you know <laughs> and uh, 
uh, yeah, I, 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 I loved, 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 loved doing it. Like it was uh, really great riding, and and it was um, just great crack. It was so physical, and the, like, obviously the you know the boxing helped and stuff like that. But it was the tour as well. It was over the going over to Glasgow in the Tron and and and, uh, and doing it there. It was. I look back at that period and I really, really, really uh, have fond memories of it. Like, yeah. and, and uh, yeah, thanks very much for, very um, for giving I'll, me I'll never forget like the reviews that you were getting over there. Like, you got five five stars in the Scotsman. Did, man, you couldn't have written that shit yourself. In like, the Scotsman, I can show believe of the it. week and like everyone's like, "I've got to see this Mikey Sheen guy. He's fucking incredible." Yeah. yeah. Um, but also, you picked that show up ludicrously quickly. Yeah, we are. Um, what did we give you like two weeks? We about two. Was yeah, about two weeks I for think. an hour long solo show. Yeah, we had Brian Burroughs came in for about two days, I think, and it was okay. me, me and you. Was it? Yeah, we, Brian uh, was the the kind of dream sequence. I remember Brian yeah. kind of that was that had to be blocked quite tightly anyway. I think so. It was I was pretty much replicating. I think pretty much what. Yeah, you, I mean, look, it was his choreography kind of through all yeah. that. So, yeah. Well, I I saw you do it in in Bewley's, and I remember like that was way before I even comprehended even doing it, and I remember. Just going oh that's that's fucking brilliant and that that's my type of show like you know and then to get to do it was was phenomenal um i want to talk to you then about the fair city phenomenon yeah because it's it's not like a normal gig no in that i mean just it's simply in terms of duration and stuff but also in terms of the notoriety and stuff and just kind of being able to go to the shops and buy you know itchy bum cream yeah chemist or something without being spotted or anything like what's what is it like being a part of it, and how long are you on board at this oh stage? Oh God, um, I was in I was in it for three years, and then I it was actually to do a fighting. I was wanting to give the fighting a go, and I, I ended up getting a getting a pretty bad injury, and I had to uh, I had to kind of put paid to that. My knee and my bloody back and everything went, but um, so I got onto Bridgie, and God, uh, like I owe that woman so much. She 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 brought me back in. So at this stage, you know, I'm probably back in it three or four years or something wow. like that but when you asked about the notoriety I'm always re- reminded of the story about Dave Duffy uh, who plays my dad Leo and uh, I remember when I first started on it he was saying he said you know your life is going to change man you know you know you're not you're not going to be able to go into anywhere you know people are going to be noticing on the street I said really I said really like that that he said, oh, man, down the country in places, you know, down in places like Kerry, you know, I'm considered a bit of a cult. <laughs> At least I think that's what they said. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, is it a bit kind of life-changing in terms of how you handle yourself day to day, or are you able to dodge much of it? Like, in Dublin, it's not too bad. Like, uh, you maybe, yeah, like, yeah, there'd be always somebody... Every day, but it's not like uh, no, it's it's not hard. Like it's not like you're bleeding Brad Pitt or somebody. Yeah. But it, it, down the country, it's it it is m- like mental. I've, like you've been on a few nights out with some of the lads, like, yeah. and, and it tends to be more magnified when there's a, a group of us, you know, okay. are, are, are together. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's so popular. Like people forget. Like it's like half a million viewers an episode which is a lot of people in a country this size in a country this size that is phenomenal like it's so successful and like there's four four episodes a week it's two million people it's two million sets of eyeballs a week watching the show it's and it's a half an hour episode like you're shooting a movie a week basically it's I don't know how they do it to be honest talk to me about that time frame because that's the thing that people don't grasp Mm. people think okay to get 
you know, six hours of love hate yeah. you might have a twelve or thirteen or fourteen week shoot. Yeah. You guys are churning out two hours, a full feature film every single week. Every yeah, two hours. So it's two hours of content every single week. And it's just like you could be doing like I I'll go to my grave saying this. Like we've we've all worked on all sorts of sets. You do a full day on Fair City, it's way harder then like you go on a film set it's it's a fucking doddle like right. it's a doddle because you're sitting in your chair you're not waiting at any time in fair city when you're doing a full day you're just uh, what is this scene uh, okay we'll do it. It, it you don't get time to, to, to you, you're in it you you need to have your homework done it's it's such hard work and i i think do people don't appreciate it I, yeah definitely like 100 percent. like there, there is a snobbery I don't give a shit what, what anyone thinks. And yeah. there is a snobbery towards it. It does grind my gears because until you've done it, yeah. and with actors and actors as well, until you've done it, yeah. don't talk to me because it, it, it is... Declan Connell, I'm sure he won't mind me saying this, but I remember he was on it. Yeah. And uh, I remember sitting with him at the um, at breakfast table one day and the director, Simon Gibney, was sitting across from us and... Uh, We'd, we'd shot like, we'd broken for breakfast. So we'd shot like three or four scenes. Before breakfast. Before breakfast. breakfast. And uh, Declan just go, turns to, to Simon Giveney and he says, uh, the stuff we shot earlier, we're going to get a chance to, to go back and shoot that again. And Simon was like, but but he wasn't even like, he was just like, oh no, 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 that's, uh, I'll never forget Declan's face. was like, what? Like, yeah. you know, yeah, it's just, it, there, there is a snobbery like, and, 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 and they, you know, I think when, People see you and every actor's got ticks and every actor's got little things that, you know, De Niro, they all, you, you watch enough of his films. Mannerisms. You say, oh, yeah, mannerisms. Yeah. But I think because you're in their living rooms four, four episodes a week, uh, the, they they almost become magnified. I think they, they, they just think that, oh, that's all that actor can do. It really annoys me because it is so hard. It's the hardest gig in town. I don't give a fuck what anyone says. It's the hardest gig in town. And... Like End of Oats is is on that gig. Somewhere. To my to my mind, End of Oats is the best actor in Ireland. In my eyes, I think every every time I watch him, like on it, he's alive in every scene. You see him thinking. I I think I I love End 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 style. And then I saw him in in something. Um, oh, was it Sam Shepard in the Abbey. Um, oh, bloody hell! What's 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 the name of that? But he was anyway. He, he was. He was. But you see, end and fair city, and you see him in that. It was completely different. Character. He 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 is a gifted actor. He's incredible. I remember seeing him in Philadelphia and Kong again. One of my favorite shows. Just watching what he was doing with Master Boyle, the school teacher. Beautiful, subtle, detail, nuanced stuff. Just like absolutely my cup of tea. And I've been looking enough to work with him a couple of times. Yeah, I, like he's he's the best. He's a legend, but like he doesn't get the the credit that 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 that, that I think he deserves. But do you think because he's in inverted commas only a soap actor? Then uh, I think there's an element. Yeah, I do. I think there's an element of that. I think like people do, uh, and I love the gig. I love going in. I love. I love every week. I still get excited every time I get the scripts. I'm like, what am I doing this week? It's like having another life sometimes. I still get excited. I love the I love the company. I love the you know it's it's such a. I even talk to the guys, uh, the directors that are in the that work on the British soaps. Yeah. And they said what what they don't have over there is that communal, everybody meeting up in the canteen and sitting together as a company. And I think that that I, I love it. But like there is a fucking snobbery. But end of the day, 
fuck them. Like, well, exactly. I mean, like, I think the idea that if someone else is working one show a year and is either waiting tables or serving coffee or pulling pints for the rest of it, they go, oh, well, I'm a real actor, but this person who's working 30, 40 weeks of the year isn't. Dude, like, dude yeah, like, I, I've been in that situation. I've been, I've, like, last night, an actress came up to me and she was like, are you still in that? And I knew by the way she said it, I was like, you haven't worked in five years. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I'm working all the time. I just, I, I, I don't understand it, to be honest. You know, a gig, it, 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 it it's, a great gig and I love it and I love doing it and uh, long may it continue absolutely um, you do get out a fair bit though from Carrickstown um, we know you've done a huge amount of theatre a lot of stuff at the Abbey and stuff whatever else but also you've been doing some big shiny action movies recently yeah can we talk a bit about that oh god yeah Jesus that well it still hasn't come out like it, it's uh, it was like I think we shot it like a phenomenal amount of work. I think I've got seven months on it. Jesus. Uh, we were all over the UK, uh, Glasgow, Manchester, London. We were actually rehearsing in the MI5 building and on the on the keys or keys in London, whatever that's called. Yeah. That's where we we're doing the fight training. Yeah, we, we were training for two weeks in in the military. Um, you know how to guys from the guys from the SAS basically were showing us like how to clear rooms yes. and and uh, they had this purpose built it was up in Manchester it was this purpose built um, yeah it was like a facility but it was all like it was uh, like plywood and stuff but these rooms you know yeah. it, was, it was purposely built for that you know so they I remember at the last day we'd been working for like two weeks on this we all thought we were great right so it was two guys Jason and uh, Terry Terry was a guy in his in his sixties. He was a retired um, British Army guy. So he says, "Okay," he says, you've, "We're gonna we're gonna test out what you've learned, kind of thing. We're gonna have a bit of fun today." So they brought they brought in like three of their mates we hadn't seen before, but they were obviously three guys that they trained with. Yeah. And they had this little box. It was like the size of a toolbox, and they said, "We're gonna hide this somewhere in the thing." you guys are going to come there was eight of us you're going to come as a group and try and locate the thing and then make it out but we're, we're giving you these little tags like tag rugby yeah. on your on your thing and on your on your waist and on your shoulder and when those tags are pulled off Brown red. you're dead but very important that you don't tell any like don't shout off you know yeah. I'm dead or whatever and he said you know so we'll see how many how many of you make it back so there's what eight of you and five of them. There's eight of us and five of them, but this place is enormous, right? And with pitch black. Yeah. Now you had little light that when you wanted to shoot, you just pressed it. There was a little lamp over the the barrel of the gun that just signified that there was a shot fired. Yeah. So when the light went on, that they had to back off and go back to their um, spot where they sat. Sure. You know, they had to they had to back off basically. So I was on the back. So the way so the way you go is you're you're a row of eight, and the guy at the back literally has to walk backwards and just cover the, the rear of the snake if, sure. if you want. So I'll never forget it, man. We're walking along like that and the guys are there ahead of me and the guy in front of you always has a contact. Like he's just dragging you kind of along and if, if he stops, if you want to stop for something, he taps you on the back. So you don't ever look... Right, to where the snake is headed. Where the snake is headed. So, I'll never, so, this, so I'm just there like that. Nothing seen, nothing behind me like that. Now it's dark, so next thing this... Hey, I can just hear this voice in my ear. All right, mate. You're dead now, mate. I've got your tag. Just go back to uh, where you started, right? Don't say nothing to them. Really softly. He'd come out of the bloody events. And just take, like, in the real world, he would have slipped my throat or whatever. 
So I just went, okay, and I just kind of walked away from the lads. Next thing, but I can hear what's going on. So that we all, it was, it was, we were all supposed to be, in, we were kind of doing it in character. We were yeah. all using our thing. So my, my, uh, my, my character's name was Rodrigo Gonzalez. Very obvious piece of casting. Of course, from Waterford. And, uh, <laughs> and all I heard was, all I heard was like, Rodrigo, Rodrigo, Rodrigo. <laughs> it's like, I couldn't answer back. So then, like, within 11 seconds, they were all, like, bye, bye, bye. their tags were all gone. It was just fucking hell. Jesus Christ. Really brought it home. Like, you're, you know, guys who know what they're doing, you're kind of helpless. You know? Yeah, those boys are the real deal. Um, what, then, for the future, what have you ambitions? Have you things you'd like to achieve that you haven't done yet? Have you things you'd like to try out that you haven't tried yet? Or is success for you just keeping it going and making it happen? Yeah. I'd love to do a Western. <laughs> I kind of said when I started out, I'd love to do a so be a soldier, a boxer, or a cow and a cowboy. I've done two of the three, okay. so cowboy's the next on the list. But uh, you know, like for me, it's just making a living at it because yeah. I, I love doing what I love when I'm in. I love working. There's never a day I go into Fair City or rehearsal room, rehearsal room anywhere and go, I wish I wasn't here. Like, yeah. where I've had jobs, where I've been like that, we've all had them. <laughs> but there's never a day, I, I, I just, I love, I love what I do. And it's just, if I can make a living uh, and keep making a living doing it, then then I'll be happy. Like, What do you think is the most important lesson you've learned from doing it as long as you're doing? Hmm. I I suppose be on time and, and learn your lines I suppose is is is, is yeah is yeah that's kind of what I kind of tell people when they come in uh, to the job here is just yeah be, be on time and know your lines that's the start and end point for me um yeah, I'm sorry I haven't got it more profound than no, that. But I think it's interesting that, that idea of kind of look after yourself or come in and I think I do think this ties back to the fight game that you know train hard fight easy mm. do all the prep oh yeah to put yourself through worse in a training camp than you'll ever face in the ring yeah. and then each fight becomes easy and so equally in terms of the rehearsal room and prep work your bollocks off before you ever get into the room yeah and when you get into the room you kind of, you're free to to play and oh play. like well that's yeah and it, like that is the thing I mean to know I, I always find like if you know when you are really prepared then you're kind of, yeah it is like that you're more free to you surprise yourself with yeah. with with the way you react to, to to the other actor and stuff like that but that just comes from do, doing your prep to the point where you, you know the, the lines kind of you don't even have to think what yeah. the next line that can be a problem sometimes when you've got a huge massive you've got 25 scenes in a day say in fair city and you're like what where am i now that can be difficult but you that, that and then it goes back to it they don't see the work that goes into it it's yeah. such a hard it's a hard gig and you need to be on top of it do you find that even just kind of being in the habit of occasionally having 10 15 20 scenes to get through in a day that have you trained yourself to pick up lines quicker than oh 100 100 like i 100 fair city is so been so so great for that even doing that film we're just talking about yeah. the action film like you're shooting a day a scene a day or whatever you know and and and, and 
I think, yeah, like I, I, it was my shorthand now for for learning lines and all that kind of stuff. It's just, I, yeah, it's 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 a doddle, like you know. Yeah, it's something else. Yeah, Mikey, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. I am so delighted we've never had to fight in real life because you beat the ever living. <laughs> uh, so please, let's stay friends forever yeah. and never fall out. Absolutely, please, I'll drink to that. So there you have it, the great Mike Sheehan, brilliant to hang out with Mikey and uh, lovely to have the chat, a really interesting guy, I love his take on the fight business, um, there's an awful lot of stories there we could have shared and didn't, uh, including late night shenanigans with um, professional wrestlers from America, when quite an eventful night, me and Mikey, we've had some fun over the years, brilliant to chat to him, what a great guy. So look, that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of the theatrical goings on around the country, at the Abbey Theatre it is of course Ulysses, they're in the great Brian Burroughs at the gate it's the snapper with the great Kate Gilmore Uh, at the mermaid they have the successful TD by John B. Keane at theatre upstairs they have well that's what I heard by the legendary TKB Thomas Cain Byrne starring the brilliant Kira Ivy from Cobra's Quest Uh, at the new theatre in Temple Bar it's the harvest starring the great John Morton and a whole host of others which is getting a huge amount of hype at the moment they've only a handful of performances left make it your business to go and catch that if you can and then at Smock Alley they have Walkinstown from Monkey Backstage which is hilarious I have to say Uh, and also their little show coming up called The Good Father which will be your last chance to see this show have I guilt tripped you enough yet get yourself down get yourself booking some tickets the link is live smack alley get yourself booking I need to put my kids through college please okay and then as we go to the Dreacht theatre they have Silent from Pat Kinnevin coming up which is always worth a watch if you get a chance at the Viking theatre in Clontarf it's the remarkable Rocket and the Happy Prince a double bill there of Oscar Wilde works uh, Bewley's has Sharon at Project Art Centre it's Jesse Jones Tremble Tremble featuring of course Alwyn Fuere at the Everyman down in Cork they've got the last performances of Asking For It but that is sold the fuck out so uh, best to look at yourself a ticket for that one I think we're all going to have to wait until November time I think when it comes to Dublin to see it again the hype about that one is real my friends uh, at the Theatre Royal in Waterford coming up later on it's going to be Blackbird starring Anthony Brophy and the brilliant Maria Guyver very much looking forward to that one and out west in Galway at the Town Hall they have A Skull in Connemara and up north in the Lyric in Belfast, it's Frank Carson, Rebel Without a Pause, from the brilliant Dan Gordon, and Fall of the House of Usher. So that is us. That is episode 33 in the books. We will, of course, be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. Hopefully I'll have kicked this hay fever by then, but hey, who knows? The drugs just don't seem to be working, kids. And in the meantime, this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Og McAnally, I'm Angus Og McAnally. We'll see you next week.